That's where we are. Go ask him, he'll tell you I'm not lying. Ah! Ah! No! No! Oh. Jesus! No! Why the fuck did you do that? He told you what you wanted. You motherfucker, fuck you. I ain't telling you shit. Okay. No. I believe him. No. What's the word, gods? Welcome to Bros. Breakdowns, reviews, and other shit. My name is Bobby. I'll be your host. Just finna be me today. Today's mathematics is the latest episode of The Last of Us, titled When We Are in Need. Written by Craig Mazin and directed by Ali Abbasi. So we got a new director here. I thought this was a supremely directed show, even if it wasn't a full home run for me. I'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, just a couple of facts about this particular episode. So it clocked in a 9.4 IMDb rating, which is the second best of the series. Second to only Endure and Survive, which... uh, I think it has like a 9.5 right now. So I, I was a little bit surprised to see this. I have a, a couple of my rankings would be a little bit different. I think it's fair to say that long, long time, long, long times IMDb rating is uh, isn't reflective of its actual what people actually feel about it or at least uh, legitimately feel about it. I think it was review bombed as we kind of covered in, in other episodes. So um yeah, those IMDb ratings, you got to take them with a grain of salt, you know, if you, you know what I'm saying? But uh this one did clock a pretty high score relative to other episodes, even other episodes that didn't that weren't um bombed or review bombed. So uh in- interesting there. So, yeah, as mentioned, Ali Abbasi came in to helm this episode. I think he did an an excellent job. His past credits I, I, I haven't really seen much. He's a, he's a He's known for directing like these brooding horror, horror adjacent type of films. Um, his most recent uh, p- uh, film was titled Holy Spider. Um, it's about this woman who sort of uh, sees women in her neighborhood being murdered or, or missing. And she decides to sort of uh, take take matters into her own hands, sort of like a Bruce Wayne Batman type in um, in uh, in a. Uh, yeah, it's it was well reviewed, but what his probably most his most notable work is is called Border. I've heard of this one. It's about this customs officer, so like TS the equivalent of like a TSA in Sweden, um, who can detect fear in people. As the synopsis says, that he can detect fear, um, and he um, excuse me, I'm not sure if it's a woman or. a a man I'm going to pull this up Um, so the synopsis reads a customs officer who can smell fear develops an unusual attraction to a strange traveler while aiding a police investigation which will call into question her entire existence so holy shit that's a that's a pretty well uh, pretty interesting intriguing premise there um and yeah, this this film was was reviewed well, and and kind of in in, in smaller in smaller film indie film circles um, did well at Cannes. 
and a couple of other festivals. So this guy, though he doesn't have a ton of credits, uh, the, the, the work he has put out has been, um, I haven't seen any of it, but it's been pretty well, well, well reviewed and well revered. And this was a, this was, like I said, this was a really well directed episode. So, um, interesting to see more of this guy. I know he's directing the finale too. So that, that should be interesting. So this is, this is the penultimate, penultimate episode, which is, uh, you know, the episode before the finale. Um, just going to run over some of my overall impressions. Seems like a hot take to suggest that this penultimate episode is not a, a, a unanimous home run, but that's, that's sort of where I stand. It was a good episode. Uh, not everything worked for me. I had a couple of issues with some of the narrative choices or the way at least the narrative was presented. And I'll get into that after I kind of list off the things I did like, um, I thought Bella Ramsey was excellent again. Her second week in a row, just uh, an absolute powerhouse. Also, it was a good episode for, or a strong episode for Allie. You see her becoming much more capable and and, um, her ability to sort of watch after herself. She she basically saves Joel's life um, again. Like she's done that a few times. And we... You know, at the, at the top of the series, she was introduced as someone who needed to be taken care of and shepherded into, shepherded to, and and transported to the Fireflies. But um, over the course of the series, you've seen her become, you've seen her grow in really interesting ways. Not only um, like in her knowledge of survival, but also emotionally and sort of. How to how to who to trust what to what's believable? She has a really good bullshit radar, um, or just a high sensitivity to danger overall. Very good instincts, uh, and that's surprising coming from someone who was born and raised inside of a quarantine zone. So, just to see her growth, especially in this episode, uh, and the. Uh, and the last episode to to an extent, but here I think really she made like a sort of a quantum leap, in <laughs> in good ways and bad ways. But um, yeah, so a really strong Alley episode, also a really strong Bella Ramsey uh, episode. A lot of suspense, suspenseful action and and gruesome violence. I know Brandon talked about wanting to see a little bit more of that. That the show's been a bit soft. Um, Joel heard the chirping about him being soft and, and said, let's put some motherfucking respect on my name. And, uh, (laughs) so that was, that was cool to see. Uh, I thought the world building of Silver Lake overall was pretty good. I mean, not as strong as some of the other quote unquote worlds we've seen built up like Kansas City or the original Boston QZ or even Bill and Frank's little home or Jackson, all those, you know, the show has the challenge of, has like, um, adopted this challenge of fleshing out and presenting a new world almost every single episode, and it's done pretty good, in my opinion, like, almost exceptionally well, up until this episode, the, the, this world felt a little bit rushed, and I under, I can understand why you have to fit so much into one hour, but, you know, Kansas City had two episodes, to kind of be fleshed out Jackson um maybe with Jackson Jackson works so well because we got like the actual tour and that a lot a lot of that episode was spent in 
committed to just how this town came to be. And here was Silver Lake. That's only a small piece of the puzzle, basically. So, um, but for, for, for the t- for, I think they did enough, but I did have questions. <laughs> I did have a lot of questions about Silver Lake. Um, but one thing it, uh, presenting Silver Lake this way did was just show how many different ways things can go in this world and just seeing that um, depending on varying degrees of circumstances you can end up in a Jackson or you can end up in a Kansas City or you can end up in a Silver Lake you know and it seems like um, yeah like I said the circumstances are just vary so slightly there could just be one or two things that are off that can lead to certain people being thrust into power and that determines just your reality or the or the, or the world that you live in as the people who are stuck in these places um so those are basically the things i think uh the show did did pretty well just showing like the juxtaposition even though i didn't feel like silver silver lake was fully fleshed out or realized uh i think it did a, enough of a job to juxtapose against the other the other um i guess uh, like settlements that we've seen in in the show just showing how different things can go and and um, the circumstances that influence that. A couple of issues I had with this episode, um, it, it, it didn't exactly set the stage for like a grand finale. That's not to say that the finale won't be uh, epic or excellent or, or whatever, but usually leading up to a finale, I don't watch the next, um, the, you know, the next on preview. But usually leading up to a finale, you have an idea of what's at stake. Um, like I said, the, the stage is sort of set for either some showdown or some event or something that um, that hangs in the balance or some some, you know, you understand the stakes. And and I think this has been one of the shortcomings of the series overall is that the primary storyline, me and Brandon talked a little bit about this last week, has sort of taken a backseat to all of these other side quests that we've ventured on. Um, and the reason why I don't think it's as obvious or some people may not even really be conscious of it is because these side quests have been structured and, and developed so strong, like very strong um, with the exception of maybe a few elements of each. But overall, I felt like every episode does a good, has done a really great job of, kind of distracting us from the main mission of the show which is to get Allie to the fireflies and find a cure and 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 that's you know been touched on or um confronted by the show and very very little um which is a bit surprising to me uh given that that's what we're supposed to be invested in you know as the series goes on otherwise what what are we rooting for what are we hoping for if not for some sort of resolution or or cure or whatever like the show hasn't really defined what we're what we're supposed to be rooting for up until this point so that's that was sort of one of my um issues with this with this episode and it was something I kind of was um anticipating last week was like oh we only have two episodes left hopefully this last one sets up the stage for the finale and I, I don't think it did that frankly um Scott Shepard the 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 actor who played David I thought he he didn't entirely work for me that's not to say this was a bad performance I think just like Melanie Linsky I think the character 
is or the, the the development of this character has much more to do with it not working for me than the performance itself um this is a really challenging role i mean the guy has to be charismatic enough to, to for you to believe that he would be voted as the leader um uh, sensitive enough for people to put their guard down and trust him and he also be he also has to be creepy and then finally he has to be threatening so that's a lot to ask of one actor and um i think he pulled off most of these but not all of these i'll, I'll get more into which one i think didn't work for me which um aspect or element of this character didn't work for me but um yeah, I was in a full home run. I've seen people praising this performance, or I've heard people praising this performance up and down, and um, I was a bit surprised. I mean, I see, I mean, the, the the actor is talented, obviously, but I just feel like it's a bit of a miscast. Uh, and like I said, it's not the fault of the actor or his abilities. It's just um, the way the character is drawn and the way the character has some, how, how the character are, has to the the arc of the character and what and what's asked of him is a lot and it may have been better stretched out over two episodes or maybe one and a half i thought the turn at the end was a little bit cartoonishly evil um and rushed a little bit rushed but um, we could talk a little bit more about that later um Another th- format I see the show falling into is like this villain of the week kind of thing where th- where the show hasn't defined like a big a big bad if there even is one or it's just sort of been a series of mini mini bads little bads smaller bads whatever you want to call it but um and that works it's compelling in its own right in its own right but uh it trains the audience to anticipate this and and expect that any new villain we're introduced to is going to be defeated by the episode's end so I think it's a a slippery slope to sort of commit to this format um and it and i've seen shows do this where they have like a big bad that sort of hovers over the show even if it's not he's not encountered or he or she is doesn't encounter the main protagonist of the show every single episode you see or you understand that uh, he or she is out there or this threat is out there somewhere and you have an idea of the proximity of the threat to the to the hero and what's what obstacles or what needs to happen for them to finally confront each other and and you just sort of have an understanding of of who's the good guy who's the bad guy and I know that's very simplistic but um, the show has kind of broadly defined like the, the 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 big bad i guess as i guess just cordyceps or humanity in general and all the different ways that that evil can manifest in humanity we've seen it um in kathleen a little bit we've seen it again here with david and and with the with fedra um but i would like to see i guess uh just just understand the stakes a little bit and maybe the show would benefit from setting up some sort of grand adversary or some sort of like the overall arcing uh, threat against Joel and Allie in the show. And I don't think it's, it's done that um, because, you know, when, when you commit to this like villain of the week format, the margin of error is so much smaller. You have to 
A, you have to introduce a new character, you have to introduce a new world, introduce new rules of this world, new motivations of this character, and then you also have to find a way how, and, and then also define how that comes, how that clashes with what Joel and Allie are after, and then have a showdown, you know, in most cases, or some sort of confrontation and resolution. So it's a lot to do in, in an, and you know, in one episode every single week, um, so, yeah, I don't know if it, 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 it you run the risk of rushing things. And I think that this episode is, is guilty of that. Uh, I kind of already went over that like, the primary mission is sidelined again. We don't really even know what, it, like, we don't even know how possible a cure is. Um, like, I feel like the show would benefit from, I know this is very, again, very simplistic, but Maybe some sort of a scene or of a doctor or a scientist considering the possibility of using Ali's blood and and weighing it out or just 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 considering that idea, just to give us an idea of, of where the goalposts are, because we haven't even seen the possibility of Ali as a cure addressed by anyone really, other than than Marlene and Joel, and they're not exactly experts in the field of of medicine or biology, um, so it it. it I think it would have benefited from someone to say, even if it's someone saying, no, it wouldn't work because of blah, 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 or it could work if this, that, it's a long shot. You know, you've seen the, it's a trope for some sort of skeptical scientist to come in and say, yeah, you know, 1% chance of this, this, and that goes right. But we haven't really even seen that. So to understand the possibility of this even happening is sort of, it's not, it hasn't been established in that sort of, I think that, the in, the experience of watching the show suffers from that because we still, like I said, we don't know what we're rooting for, if it's even possible, if this is all futile, which may be the point. Like, I haven't played the game, so I don't know if <laughs> if I'm just like, there's probably people saying like, you have no idea what you're talking about or, um, and they might be right, but, but I'm, I'm coming at this as strictly someone who hasn't, has no background knowledge of anything or very little. And I'm trying to, sort of um just describe my experience subjectively as someone who just wants to watch who's just watching this story play out this way the way that the showrunners have and um yeah i think that's missing just to understand what what obstacles are in the way of ali um being the key to a cure um and if so like then what are we rooting for like uh, other than Joel and Ali's quote unquote happiness, is that even possible in this world? Um, like it's it's tough. It's it's a little bit bleak, um, and I'm I'm all, I'm all for bleakness, but uh, uh, yeah, it's just a it's a strange viewing experience where every week these Joel and Ali are barely you know escaping some sort of dire circumstance, and things just aren't looking up and. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a strange viewing experience overall. Um, my thoughts are sort of kind of crumbling right now as I'm describing what it's like. I, I may sound like I'm down on the series. I'm not at all. I love watching the show every single week, but um, it is a little bit untraditional in how it's unraveling its narrative, and and that's cool. I'm down for that. But I think there are some things that would sort of help. or I think there are some sort of storytelling rules that if you're going to break them 
you have to sort of build them back up or present them in your own way. Uh, but there are, I mean, like you have to establish, you know, like basic, basic rules I'm talking about. And, um, yeah, I'm not sure if this, if, if maybe I'm just not seeing it or it will all be cleaned up and made clear by the finale. And hopefully I'm, I'll eat my words next week, but, um, that's where, that's where I'm at right now. So we'll get into a little bit of a, an episode breakdown. We open up and this looks like this abandoned sort of, it's a, it, it looked like a beach and it, and it looked, um, but it's a lake, uh, really captivating location never seen anything like it and right away the way that it's the way that it's framed the sound design the way that the weather is you can tell that there's that there's not a lot of life here on this what we later learn is a resort um and i thought like the visual storytelling was so clear and concise and showing you that this place though it's not condemned or abandoned it's the next it's it's not far from that it's not like Jackson or even Kansas City where there's it's bustling with like activity, good, you know, whether it's good or bad activity. Um, you could tell that there that there is something amiss in this place. So we open up with. Um, um, yeah, we open up in silver. We're, we're introduced to a new world, Silver Lake, and you hear a preacher reading a, a scripture. He says, you know, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And I heard a great voice out of heaven say, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And you see this guy's preaching. Uh, not a not not a very responsive con- con- congregation. <laughs> um, people were people. It seems like something uh, they're dealing with something that are down bad. And you learn that one of their members of their community has been been murdered. There's a little girl crying. We later learn her name is Hannah. We see this sign, uh, this sheet basically that says, "When we are in need, He shall provide," and this is directly from the game. The preacher goes on to continue and finish reading the scripture, that there will be no more death, neither sorrow, no crying, neither will be there any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he's basically this, I guess he's read this one over and over. It's sort of like become a greatest hits of his. I guess he reads it whenever one of their uh, community people in their community pass away or is murdered. And, and he even he acknowledges this and basically says, you know, I know I've read this one too many times. Basically, people are, are sort of sick of it. And Hannah, especially, she wants to know. We learn that it's her father who they're sort of grieving over. And she wants to know, you know, when can we bury him? And we see this. We see the the preacher give this other gentleman a, like a sort of a knowing look and and he gives a knowing look back and you immediately know something something's a little sketch about these two and we learn those who are familiar with the game or the, the hbo podcast will recognize that that's troy baker playing the role of james uh, i thought he did an excellent job in this uh, as well i should have listed that at the top of my um i guess the things i liked about the episode i thought he was great never, never seen him on screen before but he was great we learn um, that the preacher basically says the ground is too cold. Uh, we'll bury him in the spring. And that's that. Uh, after, you know, the traditional preacher standing by the door, thanking everyone for coming up. I, I, liked, I thought that was funny that, that that tradition has not been abandoned. The preacher wants to get his flowers, you know, kind of fish. I feel like they're always out there and they're kind of just looking for validation to see, you know, did did, did my message come across? And, and um 
it looks like that that's that's what this preacher is doing here. We see him come have a little conversation with James. He asks, you know, if there's any more venison, elk, or rabbit. I thought, you know, later upon second watch or upon learning what what we learned later in the episode. Uh, I wonder if this was code. Like, I wonder if that if they're actually talking about that game or if they're talking about uh, you know people. Um, he wants to know, you know, how much longer do we learn? We basically learn that this community is down bad there. They got about one week left of rations, two at best. Um, James tells who we learn his name is David. David is the preacher, the leader of this community. He says that he spotted some quote-unquote deer, or that some men spotted some deer, and uh, that we should go after it. And um, David basically says that he senses doubt uh, and James is like tone and, and, uh, James says, no, you know, the people still believe in you, but David means him. He doesn't mean the people he's saying, I've sensed doubt in you, James. And James, you know, kind of puts his mind at ease and says, I still believe he says it a little bit reluctantly. And, uh, so I thought this was a well, well written scene to sort of establish the dynamic of this community, but also who David is as a person and how he, and uh, just sort of like the his position in this community, he's obviously one of the he's obviously a leader, but this community is starving basically. But we don't know David's motivations or what his plan is yet, or if he's actually there to help or not. I thought the show did a pretty good job up until like the like halfway through the episode of keeping you in the dark as far as whether or not David and James. Or this whole community, if they're up to no good, or if they can be trusted or not. We cut to Joel and Allie. We see that that this wound seems to be healing. The stitch job that she did last week is keeping him alive. We see that he's at least alive. He's still not conscious. Um, you know, Allie's sort of trying to feed him, trying to give him water. She uh, she she looks at the rifle. She has this idea to go hunt. So we see her go outside. And uh, this was sort of a nod to the game. This, I guess, there was this rabbit meme. <laughs> so she, so uh, she shoots. She's trying to hunt this rabbit. It's, it's a little bit too fast for her. We see her uh, spot this deer. You see her remember her training. She takes a deep breath, does all the things that Joel sort of taught her to do. We see this recurring over throughout the series of 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 Allie applying all the all the different lenses that Joel has, has taught her into into practice and I thought this was a, a cool example of that and she sort of um she so she hits the, the the deer bullseye she can't believe it she says no fucking way you see that it runs off later on David and James find the deer and they're kind of looking around they're like finders keepers you know but Allie pulls up and says don't touch that deer that shit's mine her voice sounds a little different here. I like. I thought the way that this whole scene played out was was in, was um, well acted and well kind of staged. You see the dropping of her voice. She's very imposing and threatening. Any sudden move, I'll put one right between your eyes. She says, "Ditto for Buddy Boy." Uh, I know that these lines are direct from the game. Um, I thought the Buddy Boy line was hilarious. I kept laughing at that. Uh, <laughs> um. David tries to negotiate, basically offers her something to for half of the deer. And she immediately kind of shows her hand and her vulnerability. I thought that was like her one slip up. The way she says medicine, I thought she could have been a little bit more patient and sort of revealing what she needs. But 
right away she kind of says medicine and you can hear the desperation in, in her voice i'm not sure if that was a choice or if it was directed at her or if it was just instinct but i thought that they that may have eventually led to her downfall because you got to see david kind of clock that and use it against her in a way um david sends james off back to town to get some penicillin james looks at him and he and, you know kind of skeptically and david conf- you know af- basically confirms that you know this isn't code um and this sort of made, reminded me of Marlins and Florence and I think it was the Jackson episode where Marlin asked Florence, if you don't remember, Marlin and Florence were the, were the native couple that were living in the cabin that Joel sort of broke into. And she, he asks Florence, Marlin asks Florence, are you telling me the truth? Are you telling him the truth? Sort of remind you, you just um, see that people have sort of established this way of communicating to each other when there is a threat present and uh and a way of also letting the other person know that no we're not communicating in that if i just thought that was interesting or kind of just short sort of showing the new rules of this world um i thought it was cool to see ellie emptying the barrels she's very capable she knows what she's doing like using her training again like every i'm sure that was something joel taught her David asks her about the gun and she's just not giving Allie anything. He keeps asking her questions and this is like a recurring theme throughout the or recurring thing throughout the, the episode of him asking questions and her not giving him anything. They take shelter while they wait for James to return from town. It's a basically a four mile hike and they sort of uh, they, they take shelter in this condemned building nearby and this is where you get like a, a, a sort of an exposition dump but also sort of some character uh, some some character uh, I guess detail about about David and who he is what he's after how he came to be uh, thrust in this into this position of leadership for this community and he sort of I'd like this line he tells Allie you know you shouldn't be out here on your own and she says from where I'm sitting you shouldn't be out here on your own I thought that was classic plucky Allie um, always quick on her toes baby girl Again, he asks, what's her name? He's obsessed with finding out her name. She shakes her head. You know, David offers her a spot in their community. And and Allie says, uh, you know, uh, uh, you can take that Hunger Club membership and stick it, basically. She wants nothing to do with him. He claims, you know, he's just trying to take care of his flock. You know, they elected him to lead. It's not something he ever had in mind. You know, it sounds like a cult, but um, it's not. I'm a preacher and it's pretty standard Bible stuff, he, he says. And sort of diminishes the threat of scripture as that as if that's not been the most weaponized book of religion for centuries. Uh, standard Bible stuff uh, is not exactly disarming if you have any understanding of 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 how the Bible and has been sort of weaponized up to this day. Um, so that would have immediately put me on 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 high alert if I was Allie, and I think it does. She says, you know, the whole world ended and you still believe. And he says that he didn't start believing until after he went from teacher to preacher because it fucking rhymes, I guess. So he was in Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh QZ. It fell in 17. I guess the Fireflies took it over, similar to what we saw happen in Kansas City. And he left with the flock along the way. They picked up other people. Everything happens for a reason. He believes he's adopted this mindset of everything happens for a reason. He even says that he can prove it to you. I don't know what he means by that. I don't know if he ever... 
if we ever see what he means by that. But I just thought that was an interesting line. He sort of tacks on to the end of everything happens for a reason. How do you prove that to someone? Um, and I guess the way he could, the way he tries to prove it, which I, it didn't work for me, is that he tells her the story of how he sent four people to a nearby town to scavenge. Only three returned. One was killed by a crazy man, and and uh, we later learn that Alec is the one that was killed by this crazy man, Hannah's father, the girl that was crying uh, at the top of the episode, and that this crazy man was with this little girl. And uh, so Allie kind of sort of is like put on high alert. This seems like a threat. Uh, David says James lower the gun. So we you see that James sort of snuck up on Allie. They got the drop on Allie. David instructs Joel, James to... Give her the medicine he doesn't want to. He doesn't understand David's long game here. David's playing the long game and James doesn't really understand. He tells Allie before she runs off that he can protect her, but she wants no part of it. And, and that's that. She she gets she gets away. James is sort of befuddled, but David assures him that he has a plan. And, and, uh, and, uh, and we'll see what that plan is later. Allie goes straight to Joel, gives him the medicine, puts it straight into the wound. I'm not sure if that's how it's supposed to work, but she said, fuck it. Uh, you know, what are you supposed to do? It couldn't hurt. Uh, gets there quicker, I guess. Um, sort of, a, you know, this moment of like, oh, like, um, sort of like, un, like body horror or however you want to call it. However, you know, you get that little butterfly in your stomach when you see, at least I do when I see stuff like this. And it's immediately followed up by this really sweet, um, heartfelt moment between Joel and Allie. She sort of warms him up and and make sure that he stays warm. You can see how much she's grown to care and love love Joel here. And I thought, like, just the the various times we see her coming back to 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 take care of him, um, I thought Bella Ramsey did a great job of without a lot of words or you know non verbally, sort of presenting how much she cares to the audience. Um, and I thought, you know, another reason why I think Bella Ramsey can just do no wrong in this role. And I'm just just so impressed with her performance so far next scene we see the the kitchen and cannibal or, or what i call cannibal kitchen uh sort of a bait and switch by the show here you see this this butcher come in uh he looks down bad he looks like he just sold his soul does not look happy for what he just had to do to, to cut this meat up we'll later learn why it's just like the bloodiest slabs of meat i've ever seen uh, the, the woman who's helping prepare the food in the kitchen basically asks, who is it? I, I, I mean, she asks, what is it? <laughs> the proper question probably would have been, who is it, lady? Uh, and the butcher says, you know, venison. Uh, whatever the hell, I guess venison is some sort of game. But um, it's definitely not venison unless he develops some sentimental relationship with this venison. That is a human being uh, because old butcher boy was down bad he looked like uh he was ready to just hang it all up for good uh, but up until this point you're still not sure if this is a, if it's if this is that deer that joel or that excuse me that alley shot down or if it's something else but the, the the show did a really interesting job and it does this a uh a couple of times of certain editing and sequencing that really tells the story uh without um, too much exposition or just sort of sort of more showing without than without needing to tell and you see david and james dragging the steer so obviously immediately you understand 
the the language of the show is telling you that no, this is not deer, it must be something else. David addresses the congregation, says, you know, he may have heard a rumor, so I guess James spilled the beans or or, or <laughs> I was surprised to not see James be disciplined for his loose lips later on in the episode, but um David immediately senses tension in the room and addresses it, says that Alex murderers have been found. We're going to find them and bring them to justice. He promises to everyone. Hannah, Hannah seems like she's a proponent of, of capital punishment. She basically says that we should kill them. And David, David uh, shows that his pimp hand is strong and kind of shuts her down for speaking out of place and basically says, forget about that motherfucker, Alec. I'm your daddy now, bitch. Uh, Really? So now you understand this. <laughs> the show has finally showed its hand on who David is, what kind of person he is, what kind of place this is. The fact that nobody responded, the fact that everyone was sort of so non- not nonchalant, but the fact that no one stood up. And this is obviously isn't the first time that David has um, had to utilize that pimp hand and kind of set up, set everyone straight. He kind of smiles and nods at the mother. That was super disturbing. So finally, you know, 20, 30 minutes into this, the episode, you finally see David's true nature. Um, so I thought that like this episode does a really pretty good job about up until like three quarters of the way through of just sort of carefully revealing different elements of, of this settlement and this character, David. Um, so now it's time to eat bon, bon appetit. Uh, David says a prayer over the food, which was kind of on the nose about inferring cannibalism. He says, teach us to know by whom we're fed. Bless us with Christ, the living bread. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of uh, funny and disturbing. Um, you hear the forks clanking. I thought this just, 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 just the, the you know, the sound design in this particular sequence was so effective and, and haunting, um, you see James and they cut to James and he sort of serves as like the moral compass of the show. Um, you sort of understand where line, like where lines are crossed or how it's good to see when a show injects someone as evil or as like morally, morally abhorrent as David, that there is some foil for you to understand just how wrong or, or what he's doing is and James serves as that and the nonverbal acting that that Troy Baker has to do here really um is effective in, in telling us that 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 side of the story next we see um that uh, we're back with Joel and Allie the wound seems to be healing a little bit Allie decides to go out and get some water she sees that a flock of ravens is like disturbed puts her on high alert so Again, her training kicks in. Joel's done a really good... I'm sure that's something she learned from Joel. She spots David and his men that they're sort of out prowling, hunting. David gives instructions to the men to kill Joel, but bring Allie back. James doesn't understand this. He doesn't think it's a good idea. He questions his mercy. I thought it was funny how... Or not funny, but interesting how like these men address each other in this sort of old vernacular, like traditional um, King James Version type of, of, of speaking. Um, that's anyways, James says, you know, it would just be another mouth to feed, but David seems to have other plans for her. We're not sure exactly what those plans are, but it's interesting. Um, Our ears are perked as to why exactly David wants is so intrigued or obsessed with Allie. He hasn't, you know, 
just um, I, she must have made a, she must have made a pretty good strong first impression on that campfire um, because he sees something in her. Uh, David basically says, you know, she'll die if if we leave her out here. And James says that maybe that's God's will. And David stops in his tracks, looks at him, very haunting moment. I thought he was a, he was just gonna cap him or slap him or use that pimp hand again, but um. It reminded me of one of those scenes where you see like a character do something like excuse me, like irreparably violent or like um, just like this ugly act of violence. And then you realize that, oh, no, it's just a fantasy. I could have seen that interjected here, Um, but this isn't that type of show. But it just felt like that moment was so pregnant with pause and and uncomfortable that I you could just see they didn't have to show you this fantasy of David murdering James brutal and brutal cold murder but uh, you could see that was what's what was running through his head basically and uh, again Scott Shepard like I said the actor playing David he did a great job in, in certain elements of, of or in certain certain sequences and aspects of the show this was a great um, usage of his talents here just like that creepy threatening stare um Allie rushes back to Joel. She tells him that men are coming. She equips him with a little knife, tells him not to fall asleep. Do not fall asleep. Uh, reminded me of how we watch movies in the house right before we start every movie. Tell my dad, do not fall asleep. Allie's plan is basically to distract the man. She saddles up, rides towards them, and immediately starts firing. Like, she doesn't even wait. I love this about Allie. And so she's, like I said, serving as a decoy. She tries to, like, lure them away from the house that, that Joel is, is is inside. David screams alive. He wants her alive. He reminds all the men again that she wants to bring her back alive. Uh, this was a pretty awesome sequencing sequence. Excuse me. Uh, like, there was a cool tracking shot of Allie on horseback that I thought was really, was really kind of compelling. Um, you see James... Again, the action is so well staged here. You see James, he hops over a fence, he runs, he shoots her down. Uh, if you stayed for behind the episodes, they, there's a cool behind the scenes episode, uh, behind the scenes um, about how they exactly they shot this. And it was like with like a robotic horse or a mechanical horse, excuse me, and, and a stunt double. Um, I would have never thought that was like a mechanical horse. Um, I thought it was a stunt horse. So I was like, oh, damn, old horse, old Bojack Horseman right here. Really, really putting it, getting down right here with the stunt work. Um, they, Allie's unconscious, knocked unconscious as, she, as she's knocked off the horse. You see the butcher, the same guy who was, you know, butchering um, the meat. He tells James to do it. Um, like, certainly, like, defying David's orders. I was a little bit surprised to see how quickly some of these, it just shows, I guess it's just meant to show you how unstable David's rule is over the community, I guess. Like, it's on its last legs, basically. Like, these men are actively defying his orders. Um, right before James... I'm not sure if James was actually going to do it. I don't think he was. But you hear a gunshot, and it's David. He's a f- couple of yards away, about 10 yards away, and he fires a weapon to stop them. Um, I thought this was sort of a cliche trope, you know, of, 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 uh, of movie-making. But uh, it worked here. So David's committed to bringing Allie back. He's willing to like carry her himself. He insists and he reminds the men that it's Joel who is responsible for Alec's death and not Allie. 
and to go if they want vengeance so bad then go get it but it's not here it's not with this little girl it's with the man the crazy man as he is uh, repeatedly uh, addressed as so the butcher finds the house that Joel's hiding in. He enters through the basement. I thought this was like very classic, suspenseful visual storytelling. One moment you see Joel; he's in the in the on laying down on the mattress, and immediately the next moment the camera cuts and he's gone. So he's either Nightcrawler, or this is just very snappy, uh, stylish editing, movie making magic. But uh, I like that. I'd like that little detail there. Joel attacks him, kills him. And that's that. Now, uh, now we're cu- now we're back at the Silver Lake settlement. You see that Allie's caged up. David uh, is on the other side of the other fence. He tries to appeal to her. She's like, "Was this some other fucking cage? Are you serious?" So again, like if you weren't sure that David is evil, now the fact that he's caging up little girls should tell you enough. David tries to appeal to her. He says, "You know, others want to kill you. I want to help you. Let me protect you." The classic, like, "No, let me help you." Um, you know. Uh, strategy it hasn't worked he keeps trying to deploy this strategy and it hasn't worked this is like the third or fourth time that he asked for her name and he still hasn't gotten it you know fuck you she answers when he says what's your name here and she reminds him that she's not on my that she's not on her own i thought that was that was kind of haunting and scary and just reminds you that joel is out there and joel is maybe down but he'll be back But David's so sure that his men are... David has more faith in his men than, than I think he should. He's so sure that they have sort of disposed of Joel. He says that it's time to face reality that that part of your life, it's ending. And you might as well embrace this new beginning that we can start here with us. But she's um she, she knows that Joel isn't going to go down that easy. I think she still has faith in it. And she's right. We're proving that she's right. The next scene we see Joel. He's got both these boys tied up. Um, so Joel's back it seems. Or at least halfway back. He's standing up. That penicillin really did the job. Uh, so this is basically like Joel going full zero dark 30 uh, on these fools. Um, it's been about. It was good to see Joel back on his feet. It's been about two weeks since we last seen him on his feet you know. Uh, so it was good to see that, even if he isn't at full strength. It was uh, I was happy to see Joel back on his feet, fucking people up. Uh, but this is this is a different Joel. This is Dark Side Joel. We see him deploy this kneecap pop move. It seems like it's a signature, something that he's used before. He seems like he's done this before. He sort of has this confidence about what it would do if he pulls his knife out. He knows exactly where to puncture the kneecap. And uh, I never seen this talked about. I didn't even know this was possible, but. He says if he doesn't tell him the truth, doesn't tell him what he wants, he'll pop the kneecap out like a bottle cap. Oh, excuse me. The guy wants no part of that. He's very attached to this kneecap, doesn't want to lose it. Spills the beans, tells her the jolt that, excuse me, that Allie's alive. Where they're at is, it's called Silver Lake. It's a resort. Joel pulls out the map. He needs to just give it up with his map. The map might as well be in hieroglyphics. We all, Joel, you cannot, stop relying on these maps, bruh it's not your strong suit you're you you're better off tracking than than trying to read this map we learn that it's a resort the gentleman is forced to to hold this knife that was just in his knee with his mouth and point to the resort so so like i said fools fooled like dark side joel a side of joel we never seen and some people had issues with this they felt it was a little bit too much of a jumper um 
kind of detour away from who we've seen Joel be in, throughout the series as a character. Without knowing the game, this might surprise you a little bit um, to see him be this sort of ruthless. But this is who he is in the game as far as I understand. Um, but the show can't always rely on that. You know, like the show does have to sort of establish these... Uh, the possibility of Joel being this violent and this ruthless within its own presentation of this story. Even if the game has done it, I don't think the show can always rely on game knowledge. But I don't really have an issue with this. This is the first time we've seen Joel away from Allie, like not with Allie. So you can expect him to believe, be, excuse me, behave uh, in a different way. Like the fact that he's... that. Allie isn't around to witness any of this. I'm, I doubt he's going to tell her what he had to do in detail. But that sort of kind of explains why he would feel so, I guess, enabled to revert to some of his old tactics that we have we have seen them describe. You know, the show has established this history and this um, capability. You know, they Joel's been referred to as capable of doing bad things so so it's not like this is unearned just because we haven't seen it or uh not unearned but like out of the blue sort of like whoa where did this come from or this is a different character I've seen I've heard some people say that but you know we have to remember that circumstances are different Joel cares much more about Ali now than he did two three weeks ago uh, you can expect him to, to do more than he would have maybe two or three weeks ago. And this is the first time we've seen him in a while without Allie watching over him. You know, the fact that I think um, we all behave differently when certain people are present. So I think he feels a little bit um, more enabled to, 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 to revert to his old ways, basically, because Allie isn't around to, to have to witness it. Um, but... Uh, so so he points to the resort. He asks the guy, he says, you know, if you point to somewhere else than this other gentleman, I'm going to kill the both of you. He kills him anyway. <laughs> and then he approaches the other gentleman. The other gentleman's like, what the fuck? Why would you do that? He told you the truth. Uh, or why would you do that? You said you wouldn't. And I'm not going to tell you shit. And I love this. One of my favorite moments that I know is pulled directly from the game. And he says, it's OK. I believe him and does away with him. Um. Yeah, so this whole sequence was awesome, I thought. <laughs> Even if it did feel a little bit out of um left field. Uh you if you upon upon a little bit of consideration and thinking, you understand how extraordinary this extraordinary the circumstances are and why Joel would feel entitled to, to behave this way. We're back with Allie in the south. She spots something on the on the floor there and it looks like it's it's an ear, so so some half ass cleaning done by whoever's responsible for cleaning the kitchen or kitchen duty david brings her some food and she like immediately throws it away he wants no part of it she says that he's she she kind of condemns him for this and he says you know that yes it's, it's not something he's proud of it's his last resort she calls him an animal he says yes that's the point we're all animals so kind of creepy this is where like that turn into cartoonishly evil i think i started to sense that and i'm a little bit um I guess I am a little bit sensitive to some of this dialogue, like we're all animals and, and uh, what other options did I have? And he's trying to justify his, his reasons for doing what he had to do. 
you remind me of me. Uh, he tells Allie. They go on to he goes on to 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 try to negotiate and kind of reason with her. Tells Allie that you know she's bursting with potential in so many words, sort of like what Captain Wong was trying to tell her. That she's a natural leader, smart, loyal, violent, the total package. Uh, everything. What else could you want out of a out of a fourteen year old girl? <laughs> um, David sort of confesses that he has this violent heart and uh, that he always felt guilty about it until Cordyceps came along and sort of validated his his violence that it's fruitful. The way he describes Cordyceps, like he wants to make love to this fucking fungus. He says it's fruitful, it multiplies, it feeds and protects its children. It secures its future with violence it loves. This sort of reminds me of what Craig Mazin was saying about the vi- or about the fungus in one of the podcasts that it loves and uh yeah it was a, a very disturbing sequence here all david wants is an equal he basically says he's surrounded by sheep he sees something in alley um that he feels would would serve him or, or serve the community that they could help people together he promises to protect her and call the man off of joel uh if if she accepts his proposal basically he basically asking her be my queen bay uh, reminded me of Kylo Ren and Rey, sort of, uh, when he kind of, um, basically says that they would be so powerful to rule together, and, uh, same way that Luke and Sidious and, and, and Empire, it reminded me of that dynamic of one person so blinded by their evil that they don't recognize this force that is clearly good, um, they they're so arrogant with their power that they believe that they could convince this person of just turning their back on everything else that they care about or value. Uh, it shows you it's like the downfall of the villain. Um, David reaches out his hand. This is where I was unclear about this this pedophile thing, but it turns out he's a cert- certified pedo. Uh, this is base. This is straight up sexual abuse. Now, now was this necessary? I'm not sure if he was already evil enough. Deploy, you know, deploying something as disturbing as this should be earned, and it feels just a bit insensitive if used as shorthand for look, this guy is evil, and you should cheer when he's horrifically and inevitably murdered. Uh, the fact that he's a pedophile, but you know, is that worth triggering victims of sexual abuse? Um, I'm not sure. I I, I think the sh- the character didn't need that. He was already evil enough. He's a cannibal. He's a a child abuser. Uh, he's a religious zealot. Uh, what I don't know if you had to throw pedo- pedophile in there, but uh, I guess the showrunners decided it, it it would only enrich the show. I don't think it did that. That was one. Of, so that's one of my complaints about this character and this arc of this character. It just felt like a, a hat on a hat basically um you know in defense of this choice it is interesting frightening to have this idea of Ali's desirability introduced and the threat that comes with that how others will recognize her prowess and, and want to possess it uh so that's one thing that this sort of uh introduces or accomplishes the fact that other predators other people might recognize Ali's power or strengths and want to possess it or you know utilize it for their own benefit um but i think they could have done that without dropping in this pedophile thing but um yeah what say you
Allie breaks his finger after she discovers, you know, that, oh, this guy really is after the, after the nookie, and it's, uh, I'm not with it, you know, uh, he calls her a little cunt, so if you weren't sure enough, whenever someone deploys the word cunt, if cannibalism, if pedophile, if murder didn't, uh, didn't convince you that this guy is an abhorrent piece of shit the the usage of his of the word cunt surely will and uh that's what this that's what happens here so a hat on a hat on a hat uh Allie is a little girl or she sells excuse me kind of buried the lead there but this is one of my favorite lines of the show she says Allie and as David's walking away trying you know he's with his broken little finger wounded and and beat up uh, she shouts at Allie, and he's like, what, who, what, what's Allie, what's an Allie? Allie is a little girl who broke your fucking finger. Awesome, awesome moment, awesome moment. Uh, we all sort of cheered in the living room, especially like my mom, whenever she sees pedophiles d- depicted on screen, you know, she can't wait to have them disposed of. And this was a, even though this that doesn't happen in this scene, she did cheer here, um, Andale cabron is something that you hear her shout. Uh, I think uh, is her com- is a common um, expression she'll use for moments like this. We cut to a quick scene of Joel like hiking back to Silver Lake. So we see he's making his way back. I thought this was sweet. He's carrying Allie's backpack. A nice little detail. Um, not, not, none of those things are essential. You know, it's like her joke book and a bunch of a uh, uh, of other like sort of sentimental keepsakes. But I thought it was sweet and, and thoughtful of Joel to to remember to, to to bring that along. I'm sure it's not easy for him to haul that around, but he does, and uh, just shows you that he starting to believe that you know paying attention to things it's how we show love, uh, and he started he's sort of starting to adopt that mindset. I thought that was sweet. He comes across like basically the butcher shop, and uh, so if it wasn't clear already, I mean I don't know if we needed this scene. But uh, David basically confessed in the scene prior that, yes, they're eating the people. Yes, yes, it's happening. Uh, but um, they'll do you one better and show you exactly where they keep the bodies. I don't know if we needed this, but there it is. We come back to to, to Allie. She's in the cage. This time David brings some recruitment with James. They, they try to pull her out of the, the cage. Looks like they're ready to do away with her. She's not worth, she's not worth the trouble, I guess, David has established. Allie bites... David in the struggle and right before they're about to you know put her away she lets him know that he's infected I kind of clocked this when she bit him I'm like oh shit maybe I wonder if she can still transmit the the fungus even if you know my mind started to kind of run there and uh I'm a little disappointed that we won't ever know um because that might be that might prove useful in the future if Allie can sort of hand out cordyceps why not just have her bite every single threatening person that comes along? But uh, we never see that actually played out, so we still don't know. We still don't know how the like again. This kind of is comes back to my one of my original complaints that we still don't know how the virus or the fungus operates within Ali. We understand how you know how it works for everyone else, but not necessarily for Ali. Uh, she lets them know that she's infected, shows him her wound, and, you know, they're skeptical. David is skeptical. James is, you know, he's, 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 he sort of believes. He says, looks fucking real to me. And uh, she kind of distract, the, showing them the wound, smart move by Ali, she distracts them just long enough to 
to deliver the 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 kill blow to to James was a gnarly ass kill. <laughs> Troy Baker on the podcast was talking about how fun he was, how fun it was, and how excited he was to have such a gruesome death. I'm sure that's always fine, but he did a he did some really good dead dead acting here. That dead you just see that dead wash over his eyes. Uh, so that's that for James. Uh, shout out Troy Baker. I thought he was excellent in this show. I would have, um, you know, like, I just sense so much like pathos within James that it would have been interesting to see that explored a little more. The fact that this, that he was disposed of so quickly, you could clearly see he had a conscience and he was clearly, um, conflicted with everything that was going on. I, I know. And, I don't know, this character, though he was briefly introduced, I was interested in him, and that just speaks to, I guess, Troy Baker's natural sort of presence and and charisma or sensitivity. There's something about him that just kind of brings you, makes you lean in and wonder, and and, uh, I would have liked to see a little bit more of that, and I know the show has to accomplish so much, doesn't have time for all that, but um, yeah, if this was played out over two episodes, perhaps you would have seen... Uh, James turn on David or something like that but I, I and and I half expected that to happen here you did see some compassion um from him in some ways though I wasn't ever clear if he actually wanted to kill Allie or if he just wanted to protect her from David it wasn't ever clear but there was some there was just something more there, there was some depth that that Troy Baker delivered with this performance that I would have liked to have seen stretched out or uh, explored a little more, but, um, he did a great job here. After she disposes of him, or after Allie, you know, basically kills James, she gets out, she escapes. David has that stormtrooper aim, is, does, couldn't, couldn't hit a lick if he tried. Um, Allie sets fire, you know, she grabs this ember and she sets fire to the steakhouse. And this is where we see David's full evil turn. He doesn't believe that she's infected, doesn't buy it. And if she is, then what's the secret? Are you just that fucking special? And he's shouting all these evil things that, you know, the evil villain says at the end of in the final confrontation that didn't work for me. Uh, I thought the performance was a little uh, like a like cartoonish and a bit of a caricature of this evil of this evil figure. Didn't really work for me, but um, at least we understand um at least the cards are on the table and we understand what David's after and that he's straight up evil and that now, okay, now we can all of like that uncertainty about it. What's his motivation? Is he good? Is he bad? Was he in the middle? No, this guy is a piece of garbage and needs to be put out immediately. Uh, he, he wants to be her. He, he's shouting all these really disturbing things to Ali he wants to be her father teacher things what kind of things man there's not i mean what could you, what, what what could this guy possibly have to teach her i don't want to know he finally gets a whole and ali tries to attack him they struggle a bit he gets the best of her. He's on top of her he says you know the fighting is the part i like the most uh ooh, the, the, like disturbing line in its own right but again i don't know if um it was completely earned but it was effective in its own in, in that moment i just thought Okay, the the show is manipulating me so much into hating this piece of garbage, and it's working. Though I don't know if uh, the transition or the character's arc was fully developed or realized. Uh, this final moment, you know, 
there's no question about what you want to happen to David. And in the end, that's what the date, that's what the show's job is to do is to manipulate you and to, and convince you into feeling a certain way about their characters and who to root for and who to root against and, and whatnot. David says, there's no fear in love. Again, deploying scripture as weapon as, you know, weaponizing scripture. This is John four eighteen. Uh, there's no fear in love. Uh, just completely uh, egregious and blasphemous <laughs> to be using scripture this way, and to and just sort of uh, shows you how people will rationalize and justify their actions through scripture. He's basically making, or validating, or rationalizing, or justifying his sick desire to 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 be with Ali as as holy or as rooted in some sort of goodness because look scripture says that there's no fear you know it's just completely disturbing and you've seen examples of priests doing this and I don't have to get into that but um just calls it just um I might you know that's what I say like it, tri- it probably triggered a lot of people and I'm wondering if it was necessary finally Ali gets the, gets the drop on him kills him this epic kill that is pulled from the game you see the fire burning in the background and you see Ali just absolutely go to town on this guy completely uh uh traumatizing and just disturbing but you feel a certain way like you're happy that David is killed in such brutal fashion or not happy but satisfied it's very satisfying ending for David but at what cost you see what it must cost Ali what trauma she'll have to carry with her it's a very bleak ending to this episode and again it kind of reminds me of what exactly are we rooting for is there is this world worth saving is this world worth living in if there is no possibility of a cure like what 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 are we here for what's going on um but it was a you know it did satisfy our bloodthirst for david and the, the show did a pretty good job of building that up throughout the that whole hour of tv and to have it paid off this way was satisfying even if it did feel a bit rushed or the performance didn't entirely work for me this ending uh there's no other way that this could have ended for david um without the audience without me turning on this show maybe a bit but I was surprised to see Allie go off this way. I guess this is a, you know, it's hard to like stay completely spoiler free, but people have alluded, oh, just wait till part two. If, you, if that scared you, just wait till part two. So I'm guessing Allie becomes much more violent in part two. So we'll we'll see. But uh, we got a little preview of that. Preview of that. She stumbles out of the steakhouse completely traumatized and, and just destroyed by what she's had to do and she's reunited with Joel she's she's you know she has that classic shell shock she doesn't know she's afraid immediately Joel puts her at ease and you know he says it's okay baby girl and this was just uh, one of one of the most heartfelt sweet moments straight to the fucking heart uh of the show up to this point um it pays off you know from episode one you see the his watch as he's hugging her um yeah, so like the show is really, this is a really earned moment to see Joel and, and Allie reunited. We haven't seen them together, you know, consciously for two or three weeks and to finally see them together, even if it's under these terrible circumstances, just to see them back together again and safe, uh, quote unquote safe, um, was, was, was bittersweet, you know, I, you know, obviously Allie has been, you know, gone through something traumatic yet again, um, 
to see her sort of at least reunited with Joel, you know, she'll be in good hands. And it was just great to see that beautiful moment. And that's the episode. So yeah, overall strong episode. I've already listed what I loved and what I didn't love. Just going to go through a couple of my favorites. A couple of moments, really a couple of great moments in this episode. Like I'm looking back when I was looking back at my favorite moments. So I was like, oh, you know, for being kind of not too hot on this episode or for it not being a home run, there are really great moments. Like um, the one we just talked about, it's okay, baby girl. Um, Tell them Allie is a little girl who broke your fucking finger. That's another great moment. Um, It's okay. I believe him, Joel, telling uh, the other hostage before he disposes of him. Um, That was another great moment. So like three banger moments in this episode, even if it didn't all work or didn't build up to like a great episode, there are great moments. MVP, again, Bella Ramsey, second week in a row. I thought she was just delivered a powerhouse performance. Scott Shepard did, did a did a good job too up until the end. I just didn't buy him in that final conflict. But up in everything else, I thought he was great. Um, but Bella Ramsey, man, holy shit. She's asked to do so much and, and she's she's excellent at everything. It's just, it's just, I wasn't expecting this from her. Um, favorite bar? Date, you know, I couldn't really nail one down. David does a lot of the fizzing. That's a word like, you know, he's kind of waxing about all of his beliefs and his values and shit. But none of it really like landed for me. I'm obviously not a fan of it, but that's not to say I couldn't have picked something out that was like thoughtfully written or or not thoughtfully, but like interestingly or compellingly written. But there's nothing here that really stood out to me from at least from David's point of view. If I had to pick a favorite line. I'm going to go with, uh, you're inviting me to your hunger club? No thanks. <laughs> I thought that was uh, hilarious. Again, the show just sprinkles in and breaks tension with humor, uh, you know, at least four or five times an episode. And that's impressive for a show this dark and this bleak. But um, those are just a couple of my favorites. Uh, and that's the episode. So we got the finale coming up. Can't believe we'd been uh, nine nine weeks here, and it's been uh, it's been an excellent series. Going to go down probably one of the better first seasons of television. It's been like critically and universally acclaimed, and it's just been great. Leading, uh, I don't watch the next on finale, but even though like the like I'm like I sort of complained about at the top of the episode that this episode didn't necessarily set the stage for what to expect or for some confrontation or showdown or event in the finale i thought it was still um i'm still very much looking forward to it just because the show has earned my trust in delivering an an excellent hour of television every week so i'm looking forward to that um all right i I don't know if i referenced any plugs or any people directly but um if you want to hear some you know people talk better and more eloquently and thoughtfully about this show check out emergency awesome charlie schneider on youtube and ryan airy on screen crush All the Ringer podcasts are great. Dave Chen and Christian Spicer, of course. Decoding TV, they're great. Uh, The HBO official podcast is always a good listen. Go check those out. Again, thanks for pulling up, hanging out with me. Uh, we'll, We'll be back next week to cover the finale. Until then, remember your blessings and mind your business. Peace, gods.